Well, today we are looking at another assertion of the Apostles' Creed, one of those foundations of the Christian faith. And today, the one that we're looking at is, I believe that the third day he rose from the dead. Now, Dr. Billy Graham once said uh, to Time Magazine, if I were an enemy of Christianity, I would aim right at the resurrection because that is the heart of Christianity. And when Thomas Jefferson wrote his version of the life of Christ, he removed all mention of the supernatural, including the miracles of Jesus, the virgin birth, and the resurrection. And so this is how the Jefferson Bible ends. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And that's it. That's the end. He died. They buried him. Jefferson makes no mention of the resurrection. And you know, even today, some professing Christians say it doesn't matter. One man put it this way, without a doubt, Jesus was raised from the dead. It doesn't matter to me at all whether he, quote, was physically raised from the dead. And another uh, writer puts it this way, I think the resurrection of Jesus really happened, but I have no idea if it involves anything happening to his corpse, and therefore I have no idea whether it involves an empty tomb. So I would have no problem whatsoever with, ar with archaeologists finding the corpse of Jesus for me. That would not be a discrediting of the Christian faith or the Christian tradition. Now, that remark raises a very important question. What would happen to your faith tomorrow morning if both CNN and Fox News, if you could imagine, both were carrying this story? Body of Jesus found near Jerusalem. Suppose that story was running because someone really did find the bones of Jesus in a box in the Holy Land. What would be left of the Christian faith? Would it matter at all? Or would we go on as if nothing happened? Now, at this point, the Apostles' Creed offers a clear affirmation. The third day he rose again from the dead. No ifs, no ands, no buts about it. Jesus died on Friday. On Sunday morning, he came back from the dead. And this is important. When we say that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, this is what we mean, first of all. Jesus really died on Friday afternoon. And on Sunday morning, he personally bodily, physically, actually, literally rose from the dead, never to die again. 
He rose personally. Jesus rose himself, not some substitute. He rose bodily, meaning that it was his crucified body that was raised from the dead. He rose physically, meaning that he wasn't a ghost or a phantom or a figment of someone's imagination. To say that he rose actually and literally means that it really happened. And the word resurrection means that he was raised immortal and incorruptible, never to die again. During his earthly ministry, uh, Jesus raised several people from the dead. But those miracles were resuscitations, not resurrections. Lazarus was destined to die again. But Jesus, having once experienced death and having triumphed over it, would never die again. He was raised immortal, alive from the dead, and he lives still today. That's what we mean when we say that on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And let me tell you why this matters. And Paul goes through this in the passage that we read this morning. First, this is what the Bible teaches. Let there be no confusion about this. Everything in the gospel records, everything in the book of Acts, everything in the epistles stands in perfect harmony on this point. Jesus died and rose from the dead. Second, uh, this is really uh, uh, what happened. If you had been there on that Sunday morning, you would have seen the empty tomb. If you had uh, been with the disciples, you would have seen Jesus alive from the dead. Like Thomas, you could have checked out the evidence yourself. Thirdly, this is what the church has always known. And this is what we have always proclaimed. The resurrection of Jesus has always been and always will be at the very heart and core of the Christian faith. It's one of that tiny handful of things that has always been believed by all Christians everywhere. And this truth unites Christians above all things. Uh, uh, in, in all denominations, large or small. If you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you have placed yourself outside the boundaries of Orthodox Christianity. If you truly don't believe it, you're really not a Christian at all. And you shouldn't be considered one, even if you happen to be a pastor or a seminary student even. Fourth, this is the church's message. This is at the heart of what we proclaim. Read the book of Acts. Study the sermons of Peter and Paul. The climax was not Christ is crucified, but Christ is risen from the dead. That's the message that turned the world upside down. The Son of God had come back from the dead. Nothing like that had ever happened before. We don't worship a dead Jesus. We worship a risen Christ. 
That's why the cross and the sanctuary is empty. Jesus was crucified once for all. And the cross is empty to remind us that though he died, he did not stay dead. But what if it hadn't happened? In the early church, some believers became confused when their loved ones died and were buried. <laughs> Evidently, a belief spread that Christians who died would not be raised from the dead. And so Paul is addressing this problem or this concern in 1 Corinthians 15 by reminding his readers that the resurrection of believers depends on whether or not Jesus himself rose from the dead. When we stand at the graveside of a loved one, it's very easy for death to overwhelm us with its awful power. It's not unusual to wonder if uh, we will ever see them again. Thoughts such as these fill the minds of those early believers and led some of them apparently to the point of despair. But notice that Paul doesn't rebuke the Corinthians for these concerns or these doubts, and nor does he try to prove the resurrection of the dead in some detailed argument. Instead, he points these wavering believers back to the empty tomb, and he says, remember that God raised his son. Everything hinges on that. Then for a few verses, he argues uh, the contrary case. What if Jesus has not been raised from the dead? What if his bones really were in some box in the Middle East? What then? And four conclusions follow. First of all, he says, if that were the case, our faith is futile. He says this explicitly in verse 17. The word futile means useless, empty, vain, of no value. The Christian faith without the resurrection is an exercise in futility. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, it's not true. And we're wasting our time believing it. If Jesus was not risen from the dead, then the Christian faith collapses like a deck of cards. Second thing, we're still in our sins. Uh, in verse 17, it says that Christ's death cannot save us if he's still in the tomb. Not long ago, a man was heard praying like this. Lord Jesus, even if you didn't rise from the dead, at least we know our sins are forgiven. But you know what? That's the exact opposite of what Paul says. There is no forgiveness and we are eternally lost if Jesus is still in the tomb. I heard it put this way a long, long time ago. If Jesus uh, was born in the Middle East and he grew up and he became a great preacher and teacher and then he died, we'd have a teacher. If he grew up and he lived and he taught and uh, he wound up being killed and crucified for his beliefs and for what he taught, we'd have a martyr. But because he lived, he died, I mean, and he lived, he taught, 
and he died and he rose from the dead, we have a savior. That is what seals it, is his resurrection. Paul says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Death has won the final valley, or the, the final battle. But no, my tongue's tangled again. Ah, death has won the final battle if Christ did not arise from the dead. Then our worst fears are realized as we lay our loved one to rest, knowing that we're never going to see them again. And then finally, he says, we should be pitied. And I agree. And I was one of those on the outside at one point looking in and I was brought up in the Christian faith, but I doubted and I did not want to perpetuate a falsehood. I did not want to be a part of something that wasn't true. What was the use? If it wasn't really so, why waste my life on a tradition? If it weren't really so, why bother? Just like Paul says, let's just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we must die. Uh, so anyway, it says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied above all men. Sometimes well-meaning pe people will say something like this. Even if Christianity wasn't true, it's still the best way to live. The proper theological term for that is baloney. Okay? Baloney. If it's not true, why would anyone want to believe it or live it? Like I said, I didn't want to spend my life living a lie. And Peter says in 2 Peter 1.16, I didn't want to be following some cleverly devised fable. There are bigger things to be looking at than that. Life is too short to do anything but find the truth and commit to it 100%. It's not, and Christianity is not, an iffy thing. Uh, if Jesus did not rise on the third day, then the hallelujah chorus is just another piece of nice music. It's beautiful, but if it's not based on the truth, it's just music. If Jesus didn't rise, then our prayers are empty. Our preaching is in vain. Our missionary work is useless. And the church itself is a danger to the world because it stands for something that is not true. Jesus is still in the grave. If that's so, then we're just talking nonsense on Easter morning. That's what Paul meant. And Paul is right. It all hangs on that one little bitty word, if. If Jesus did not rise. But what if he did? Having stated the negative, Paul moves over and he triumphantly asserts this truth in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You know, we can simply reverse all of Paul's previous points because of this. 
Now that Christ is risen, our faith has meaning. Because Christ is risen, we have forgiveness. Because he is risen, we will see our loved ones who died in Christ again. Because he is risen, we can be certain about our own future. What wonderful news this is, isn't it? Now there's hope for the hopeless. Now light shines from heaven in the midst of the darkest corners of the world. Now we can say to anyone, if you come to Jesus, he will not turn you away. No one is beyond God's grace. Whatever your sin might be, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the blood of Jesus Christ washes and cleanses and brings forgiveness in one great moment of transformation. Heaven now becomes real and death has lost its victory. We still die, but we don't stay dead forever. There's good news from the graveyard because Jesus has come back from the dead. Brothers and sisters, the tomb is empty. As much as I marvel at the virgin birth of Jesus and as much as I wonder at the sinless life that Jesus led, as much as I glory in his cross and the tremendous grace that I see there, it is the resurrection of Jesus that makes Christianity unique among all the religions of the world. It's not just one of a group. Go to the tombs. Go to the tombs of the founders of the great religions of the world and, and call the row. Mohammed, here. Buddha, here. Confucius, here. Moses, here. Jesus Christ, no answer. No answer. No answer because he's not here. The tomb is empty. Doubt if you will, but the tomb is still empty because he's not here. He is risen just as he said. In the early church, Christians greeted each other this way. One would say, he is risen. And the other would return and say, he is risen indeed. It's true. And we have staked our lives upon it, those who have committed 100% to him. No one can remain neutral forever. You can bring your doubts to the empty tomb, but you still have to make a choice. You can't stay on the fence forever. Doubting is no sin. But at some point, you have to stop doubting and start believing. Either you believe or you don't. So where are you this morning? Are you believing or are you doubting? You know, we gather and we worship on Sunday. We call it the Lord's Day. We actually worship on Sunday instead of Saturday to commemorate the resurrection. Did you know that? Every time we gather on Sunday to worship, we are affirming 
Christ is risen from the dead. We don't gather on the old Sabbath. We gather on the first day of the week because that's the day our Lord rose from the dead. And we proclaim it every time we gather in his house of worship on Sunday and whenever we make this our Sabbath day. Today, as you've gathered in this house, is a great day to stop doubting and to start believing. You know that Jesus died. There's no doubt about that. You know he died for you. You know that he rose from the dead. The question God is asking very simply is what have you done with my son? Jesus says, stop doubting and start believing. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, over 40 years ago, I made up my mind. I met the risen Lord. And when I did, all the doubts went out the window. And from that point on, I have been all in. If you're a poker player, you know what that means. When you're all in, that means you take everything you've got left and you just push it out there in one great wager. And this is what he calls us to do with our lives. He calls us to be all in, to put it all out there. It all hinges on this. There's no other way to go. You're in or you're out for the whole rest of the journey. Which is it for you? I've made up my mind. I've staked my eternal soul on the fact that the third day he rose from the dead. How about you? Let's pray. Father, if there's anyone here in this place or anyone within the hearing of this message that has not gone all in for you, we pray that this would be the day when they would put it all on the line and start living out of what they know deep down they believe. In Jesus' name, amen.